everybody, and welcome to the Gift of the Struggle podcast. We have one of my good friends, Terry Ellen, on the show today. I'm very excited to talk to her because it's a very timely um, issue for Pride Month that we're going to be talking about. Um, as a trans woman, I met her through some of the volunteer work I do with some of the LGBTQ organizations and um, have a lot of respect for her experience and her willingness to speak out. So Terry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Elizabeth. It's great to be here. It's wonderful. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And uh, lovely to get to talk to your audience and, and to you about all this. Uh, I, my name is Terry Allen. I am a trans woman. I've known I was transgender since I was 11 years old, which was back in 1974. So you can do the math and figure out my age. Um, I am a geologist by trade. I have a Bachelor of Science and Master's degree in geology from the great University of Alabama, so roll tide. <laughs> and I work as a geologist for the state. And I was the second person to transition in state government here in Alabama. Uh, I thought I was the first and didn't realize I was the second until after I had transitioned. And even though we're a deep red state and Republican, uh, my transition at work went really, really amazingly well. My boss at the time uh, is a Republican. He is now the mayor of Foley. And uh, he was great. Uh, he has a gay son, so I, I believe that helped me out a lot. And uh, the people up in Tuscaloosa, where my agency is based, uh, were all wonderful when I came out and said that I couldn't have done my transition any better than I did. I have one son who's 29. Uh, I was married for 30 some odd years. <laughs> I can't remember exactly how many. I was separated, but I'm now divorced. I got divorced back in uh, December was when it was finalized. It was very difficult, difficult time because I didn't want a divorce, but my wife could not live with me as a woman. So yeah. unfortunately, um, a lot of marriages don't, don't survive when one spouse uh, transitions to another gender. And mine was one of those, unfortunately. But statistics do show, weirdly enough, that about 55% of marriages that have a trans spouse do survive, which is higher than the 50% rate in cis marriages. So that, that was, that's an interesting little yeah, statistic. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and wasn't expecting that, but yeah. No, that's it does happen, but mine, mine didn't make it, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, and so there are several things in that in that introduction that I want to touch on. First, real quick before I forget, the, when you came out to the state and tell the tell everybody how you did that because I think for people going through this, the way that you approached it probably, like they said, you couldn't have done it any better. Mm -hmm. um, and you were trying to be respectful of any uh, issues people might have in their comfort, almost more than your own comfort. So tell everybody kind of how you how you process through that. Well, I was very concerned about everybody else's um, feelings toward me in doing this. I had been working with everybody there in the office for uh, see, seven years as a guy. I went full-time in the fall of 2017. On, I went first time full-time at work on 9-11 of all days, but it just happened to be a Monday. So um, it's easy to remember my, my anniversary that way. But yeah, I was very concerned. I came out to one one guy individual early on, a few months before I came out to my boss to kind of feel things out a little bit because um, I knew he was liberal 
And after, after having had many different conversations with him, I thought he would be okay with me. And he was. And he gave me some, some great insight into others at the office of how they would, would be about me. And of course, any, anybody like myself, transgender, who's contemplating coming out and transitioning to full-time is uh, gender they weren't identified at birth. Uh, it's difficult. It's terrifying because, well, you know, everybody wants a paycheck. Everybody wants a job. And we have no protections in Alabama on getting fired because we're transgender. It's perfectly legal to do that. And so it was, was terrifying. So I was really, really concerned because not a single one of us who transitions, transitions alone. Everybody around us transitions with us, coworkers, family, friends, family, such and so. All those, all those people transition with us or they leave our life. It's just how it works. Uh, and unfortunately at work, people can't necessarily leave your life unless they want to quit and go somewhere else. And so um, I had conversations, came out to my boss, had a nice conversation with him. He's like, okay, well, you know, how do we, how do we do this? And so I had a lot of materials um, that I had found online and had been given to me by, I also had retained a labor lawyer just, just in case things okay. went south. <laughs> so I had her in my back pocket and she had helped me quite a bit and how to prepare for this. She had helped others do this as well. And uh, so I had a lot of materials. I answered any questions they had concerning the transition. And then I had to go up to Tuscaloosa and talk to the head of the agency and the HR person up there and had a packet of information for them and answered whatever question they had. Um, and then I came back from that and then had meetings with all my coworkers and talked to them at length and answered whatever question they had that, you know, I understood that this was a rough thing for them to do. And it was difficult to have somebody that you knew as a guy for, for years, all of a sudden, you know, will come in as a woman, dressed as a woman and present as a woman uh, one day at work. And, and that I hoped everybody would be able to gender me correctly as female, she and her. And everybody was really great and uh, asked me a lot of questions. And it's been, it's been really good. And they told me that I, I couldn't have done it any, any better. You know, I was really concerned with women in the office. I worked with two other women about, you know, me using the restroom and they were, they were okay with it, you know, and um, they've been great all along. I even had to go and talk to the HR person of the office building that we uh, have our office in and talk to them about using the restroom. And uh, they were, actually very, very cordial, very nice, and um, no, no issues whatsoever. No one's come at me. No one's had any issues about me in the office or other companies that have um, employees there in the office building. So, and I've been told that it's like, you know, nobody's ever said anything about you. Nobody's complained. And it's like, don't want them to, you know, I tried very hard to not make waves, not be a red flag, not, you know, be a bitch about any of this <laughs> uh, because it just doesn't bode well, you know, yeah. if you are, you've gathered more attention. I didn't want any more attention than I absolutely had to have mm -hmm. and transitioning where, you know, you, you uh, go home on a Friday is uh, Joe and you come in on Monday is Joan. That's a, that's a huge demarcation. It's like when you come out as being gay, 
you're just Joe on Friday. You come back on Monday, you're still Joe. You just you're just gay. Right. You don't change your names. You don't change your pronouns. You're not changing your clothing. You might get a little flamboyant, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> let your guard down. You know, yeah. You might start wearing more pink or something like that, but you're still Joe, right, and everybody I... knows you as Joe, and really nothing changes other than they know about your sexuality now. Yeah. My condition as a trans person, we don't get that luxury. Yeah. You know, we change names. I spent. Uh, I took the week off before coming in full time and got my name changed. It's probate court, got my social security changed and got a female marker on my social security, got a new driver's license that showed my new legal name, a picture of me, it's me. And I had changed and then changing all that at work and everything else. It was, it was a daunting prospect, yeah. but it has well, gone amazingly it's, well. Really. Yeah. I, it's remarkable to me that Alabama has, has risen to that occasion mm-hmm. as well as they did. I just couldn't believe it when you told me that for the first time. And I know when um, when Luke, my son came out, he was very, you know, as a 16 year old boy, his perspective was very egocentric, of course. And uh, when you're going through something like that, it's gotta be, you gotta protect yourself. But he was mm-hmm. even worried about, he said, I wanna just be Luke who happens to be gay. I don't wanna be gay Luke. Yeah. And he didn't, like you said, his appearance didn't change, his name didn't change. And so if he had that fear, could only imagine the fear of that yeah, it's like higher. order of magnitude a little, little higher you know yeah because my identity is not transgender okay it's not my identity my identity is that of a woman okay? right that's that's what i am that's what i've always felt me to be uh since i was a very young age and so i don't identify as trans it's like i don't identify as having blue eyed i'm blue eyed and i'm diabetic i don't identify as being mm-hmm. diabetic awesome. i am those this is things. the thing about you Right. It's just a characteristic. It's it's how I got to be physically, socially, and legally female. Right. I transition. Transition. That's a perfect transition into talking about (laughs) to use no pun intended. Pun intended. (laughs) So talk about your story because I think it's important for people to understand the emotional impact that something like this when you knew when you were 11 and clearly didn't have the agency to do anything about it. Um, Tell us about that because I think it's important to understand that this isn't just a whim or, uh, you know, experimental (laughs) phase or all the things that that people think it's the the choice discussion. So tell us a little bit about that because the way that you tell it for me is very impactful. I knew for sure when I was 11, Probably had inklings about it even earlier. It's like I love, I can remember when I was, I don't know, four years old that I would go and get the hairbrush and I loved to brush my mother's hair. I don't know why. I don't remember the, the why of it, but I think it was connected with being trans and feeling I was female. I was very, very, very aware of male and female things, what I could do as a little boy and what I couldn't do, can't play with dolls, can't do this, can't mm-hmm. do this. Anything girl related. I was very well that I couldn't couldn't do that. And I don't think most little boys are aware of that because they don't want to do that. I no, did, I, but I knew I couldn't. Is, is part know. of that the environment too? Was that was your family very delineated about boys don't do this and girls don't do that? Oh yes, yes. Yeah. I couldn't have long hair. I never never had hair below my ears, much less even touch my ears. 
all the pictures of me as a as a young boy are very very short short way up here they called them my dad called them burr cuts and he would go get just just whacked off yeah and even up until college if my hair would touch my collar my mom would just just be on me you need a haircut you need a haircut you need a haircut so I never got to have long hair yeah whereas my sister could have hair down to her waist you mm-hmm. know I never could have that and I don't, I don't know what the light bulb moment was exactly what broke my egg, which is which is the term in the trans community of when, you know, you, you get that uh, sign that, yes, you are trans and you're not the sex you were assigned at birth. And, and you go on from there. So my egg was broke when I was 11 years old, but I don't remember exactly what. It had to have been some TV shows that were on at the time because you can go back and see that, you know, there was an episode of Happy Days where uh, Richie had to do drag and go to a dance and and as um, hazing for some club he was going to go in. And you didn't get in unless a boy asked you to dance. And so there was that. I remember that very clearly. And there was an episode of Medical Center that had to do with a, a transsexual who actually had the operation and went through it. And they actually did a really, really good job of those two episodes for the time this was the fall of 1974 so I knew at that point I you know already knew and I think it was around February of 1974 when I figured it out because I remember going my mother was a nurse and she had a medical encyclopedia and I remember going to get that book and looking up transsexual as what that was because it had already rang a bell in me I was like that's that's what I am familiar to you or at least relatable yes and then reading the definition it was like oh my god no it's not a not a hallelujah moment of like oh praise god you know transgender it was a oh shit moment right you know of that and then spending lots and lots of times in the public library no internet back then and being scared to death the librarian was going to look over my shoulder and wonder why a 11-year-old boy was looking up stuff on transsexualism. That that was what it was under. There was no so, transgender heading at all. Yeah, and at that time, you were searching, because at that time, nobody, people didn't talk about it. It was very mm-hmm. much in the dark corners of the world. People stayed hidden, I think, so much more. And so were you just searching for what all this meant? You, you didn't even have a word for it till you read that in the book right I mean, no no it was I, I knew myself as a transsexual for a very long time that that was the word mm-hmm. I knew my identity was that I was a transsexual because I you know had the innate feeling of being a girl mm-hmm. and I wanted to have the body of a girl and I was able to glean enough information from what was available at the time in the public library. I knew about surgeries. I knew about hormones. Mm-hmm. I knew about transition. I knew all about that when I was a teenager. There was so you began to know that there was a possibility that you could have a transition. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. But it was always seen as a fantasy for me, an impossibility, something that could never, ever happen. Because how would one do that? You know, we have online support groups. There's all kinds of online information today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Doctors, psychiatrists, counselors, therapists. There are so many ways of approaching of how to transition. So to be a trans kid back in the 70s, there was no no hope of that. I just had to survive, basically. 
and it was difficult. I mean, there were other things. It's like when I was in high school, I played on the football team. I ran cross country. I never, ever took shower in high school. The thought of being in this communal shower rooms with a bunch of boys was just, just I could not do it. And I didn't put two and two together back then. But that was why I just, as, as a girl, I didn't want to shower a bunch of boys, yeah. <laughs> even though anatomically I was male. And yeah. I just, I but you could did not, not relate do to it. that part of yourself at all. No, no. And it, it gave me great, great discomfort and dread to think of, of showering with a bunch of boys. That's so interesting. You know, and I didn't put two and two together. Sense, like, yeah. That's not something I would have ever even thought about, you know. I didn't either. I didn't put I didn't put that didn't, together until much, much, much later. Going, you just thought oh you were really God. shy. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't really, you know, try to psychoanalyze myself about it. I just knew it made me distinctly uncomfortable, and I had no desire to be naked in yeah. front of the other guys. I was, no. So you go about your life through high school, through college. You get married to a woman. You're still mm-hmm. living as a man. Tell me about the the journey into knowing that you had to make the transition. Well, it was always, my dysphoria got really bad in my late teenage years. And when I met uh, the girl that would become my wife, it it helped tamp tamp it down. Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't looking at it as a fix or anything, or that this would fix me. You hear that story from trans people a lot that, well, if I do this, this will fix me. Or if I'm uber masculine, this will fix me. Or if I get married and have kids, this will fix me. This will fix me. It's a constant mantra of this will fix me. I wasn't thinking that. It was more of an attitude of my, this would be the better life. Mm-hmm. Right. This would be a better thing for me so to do. that was a choice. That was a choice, yeah. Because you were I trying didn't... to have the, the better cis normal life. Yes, that, that yeah. was that was the better choice. That time I did make a choice of to, but my dysphoria wasn't to the extreme that it became later. Okay. Okay. I was able to handle it, mitigate it. And how um, old were you during that time when you got married? I was 23. Okay. 24. 24. So, and I tell my wife at all, anything about me at all. Because you were deciding that you were going to live that way for the rest of your life. Yeah, I was going to take it to my grave. The only 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 person that knew about it was God. That was it. And that was all that was going to know because there was no win-win. What was the point of coming out to anybody? What what was the point? All it would do was was going to do to what how were you set the apple cart, you know. And I could handle it. I was okay, you know. I would have to cross-dress about every six months at least that my dysphoria would, would reach a crescendo and that would help. Were you, where you had to express. Yeah. I had to express being you female. Were. Yeah. And it's like, you want to be it's like when you're a kid, you're pretending to be a policeman. So you get the uniform of a policeman. So I wanted, I thought myself as a girl wanted to be a girl. So you wear the uniform of a girl. Mm-hmm. And that would help greatly to alleviate my dysphoria, the, the discomfort, the dissonance. For me, it was a huge dissonance of feeling like I was going to fly into a million pieces. Mm. So what about the fear of getting caught when you would do that? I was terrified. Yeah. Uh, I was very, 
yeah, I would do it at home. And if I went out on a business trip, I would uh, do it in my hotel room. And there was always the fear of getting caught, always, 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 and feeling guilty and being a Christian, repented, I don't know how many times yeah. of, of doing that, you know, to know. To Did know you feel bail. ashamed when you would have to do that? When you would get to the oh, point? Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, shame, guilt. So it didn't feel like an embracing of your true self at that point. It, you felt ashamed that you caved. Yeah, because uh, it, you, know, you almost look at it as a sin. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, one of the few verses in the Bible that concern transgender people is the one about not dressing as opposite sex. Mm-hmm. And so having grown up Christian and being a Christian, that was weighed heavy on my mind. Lots and lots and lots of prayers to God asking, you know, them to take this away from me and just make me normal right. and happy so- as a guy. It just never happened. So when, as you progress through your dysphoria, tell us about the part where it became unbearable. Well, as life went on, you know, it's like, well, it'll go away when I'm 20. It'll go away when I'm 30. It'll go away when I'm 40. None of that happened. It just increasingly gets worse with time. And in my mid 40s, late 40s, it became so bad that I just wanted to drop down and die. I, I pray just to die. Just let me, just let me die. I've done. I can't handle this anymore. Everything I had done to mitigate it in the past that worked didn't work anymore. And there were days it would feel like it would just hit me like a freight train. And it was all I could do just to make it through the day. I was in great mental pain and anguish over it. Terrified of what would occur if I transitioned. I, by that time, I you know knew about hormones. I knew about the whole nine parts, everything. And, and people had done it and I had read so many stories and whatnot, both good and bad. And um, it got to the point where I, I felt like I had two years of, of life left. That it was either going to kill me from the stress of dealing with it, of fighting it, or I was going to take my own life. One of those two things was going to happen within two years this was 2011 this was like 2011 yeah I hadn't I hadn't gotten a therapist yet isolated yes and so what did your wife think this had to be a visible form of depression if you're barely able to function she knew something was wrong with me Mm -hmm. Uh, and of course I would always brush it off I'm just tired I'm just stressed (laughs) yeah Normal Which I, I was all those things, but I just would never confide in her as to what the root cause of all this was. Um, by the time I came out to her, I had already seen a therapist about it. Um, I was um, doing hormones on a do-it-yourself basis to try to mitigate it as much as possible because I had read medical um, journals and articles talking about that late life transitioners like myself, transsexuals, uh, could dampen down the desire to transition on a low dose of estrogen. Mm. And so that's what I was doing. I wasn't, I wasn't, that was trying to, trying to control it still. Yeah. I was still trying to control it, mitigate it. I didn't want to blow up my life. Yeah. The first, you know, my third therapist who, who I credit her with saving my life. Uh, when I went to her, came out that I thought I was transgender and wanted to talk this about somebody 
And I told her it wasn't about getting on hormones or going to a doctor or having surgery or anything like that. Um, it was, I didn't want to implode my life. I told her to help me from imploding my life because that's where I think I'm headed and it's going to be a disaster. And I do not want to do that. And it was another five or six months after seeing her that I actually got the courage to ask her if she thought I was transgender. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I know it was, but you need to have someone you. else say it. Yeah. It was a bad day for me. I want a day of joy or anything else. Like I was hoping she would tell me, no, I think you're X, Y, Z or crazy or, or, yeah, there's, or anything. There's something, there's something here we can fix or deal with. or Right. Yeah. 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 So it was, it was, said, she gave you an adamant yes. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. she goes, oh yes. I think, I think you're trans. I think. And you were sad instead of validated. I mean, you were validated, but you I was validated. I was affirmed in how I saw myself, uh-huh. but it was also an affirmation of what was probably to come for me. Yeah. And, you I, was, and I wanted to get out of it. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to do this. It wasn't a, a day of joy or thrill or hallelujah. You know, it was, it was kind of like a diagnosis. It was a diagnosis, mm-hmm. but there's only one good way of treatment. And I already knew that, you know, I had done my homework. I was very well educated in trans issues and how and why and medicine, biology and effects and all that. Have you ever had that moment of celebration or joy? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the first time I felt normal is me uh-huh. when I didn't have any dysphoria. I don't remember the exact day, but it was like 2014, maybe. And I was I was driving across the Bayway to go to my therapist appointment. And it was just like I had no dysphoria at all was gone it was just this this joy of being me and I was like I remember thinking like oh my god is this is this how normal people feel Mm -hmm. where you're not fighting this dissonance all the time 24 7 policing how you talk policing how you walk policing your mannerisms Mm -hmm. clothing everything under the sun and it gets exhausting yeah I know and so I you can do it fully yourself in that moment. That's when you celebrate is when you feel fully yourself. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back now. No, mm-hmm. no. Cause it, it is amazingly wonderful to be me. Yeah. To be physically happy and content in my own skin, uh, which I did not have for the first 50 odd years of my life. How long have you had that now? Oh, six or seven years, I guess. Yeah. Like yeah. It's nice. And I mean, people have told me that the ones at work um, told me that I always seemed uncomfortable all the time and they never understood why until after I transitioned. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, that I'm happy and I'm chatty and I'm, you know, they see that this has made me really happy and a different, more positive person Mm -hmm. and they get it. Well, you know, what's funny. I met you probably not terribly long after your transition, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And I can see it on your face. The, the lack of the strain. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when I first met you, you were still filled with angst about all of it and the reactions and the, all the things. And now. Oh, yeah, that was early, that was early on. Yeah. It was early on. And I can mm-hmm. see how much more relaxed and at peace you are with yourself. Mm-hmm. You just have a whole different countenance. Oh, it's wonderful to be at home in your own body. Yeah. 
and everything is aligned. It's like I used to tell people, it's like, well, what is dysphoria? I remember my wife asking me, what is this? What does this dysphoria feel like to you? And for me, it, it and it's different for trans people. Everybody can have a different feeling of it. It's a great, it was a great dissident. It's like playing a guitar that's out of tune all the time. Nobody hears it out of tune, but you. And you can never tune your guitar. And so now my guitar is tuned. I'm quite happy. There's if there's no, any just musician that, out there, you'll totally understand that, right? <laughs> yeah, any musician will understand how horrible it is to play an instrument that's out of tune. You can't get it in tune. Every song, just you hear it. Someone else may not necessarily hear it. But any musician can usually tell when something's a little out of tune. Well, I was way out of tune. You know, I had all six strings of my guitar were out of tune. And now it's not. I don't, I don't have any dysphoria at all. And it is just, oh, my God, amazingly wonderful so you say it's worth it I remember um when I first met you you said something like um you have to be prepared to lose everyone in your life yes when you make this transition because mm -hmm. so some of us do lose some, everything. some of you do I mean who have I know you're not married anymore your son is supportive yes he has moments accepting <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yes, he has his moments. I mean, I took his dad away. Right. I mean, he's very happy I'm still here and I'm alive because I've been real frank with him about all of this. Yeah. I think you know, that I did, I did this. I didn't want to die. That's yeah. where I was going. I did it because I didn't want to die. That that was, if being a Christian, you think a sin, you know, if, if something's a sin, well, I was going to die. It was either going to be a passive suicide or aggressive suicide. Mm-hmm. I was either going to let the stress of this kill me, a passive suicide, mm -hmm. or I was going to take my own life, which was an aggressive suicide. It was going to be a suicide one way or the other, yeah. because I knew what would help me. I knew the way out mm -hmm. and being terrified of what might come. I mean, I did one last angry ranting prayer to God when I was seeing where I was going, and I did not want to do this because of all the pain and anguish it would cause to my parents, my wife, my son, other people in my life. And I hate to cause pain and anguish to ones I love. I've always been that way. I hate it. Yeah, I hate it. I will take on more pain and anguish myself rather than do that to somebody I love. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was coming. And so one last prayer, I think it was the spring of 2016. And God gave me an answer. It was a big fat no <laughs> in my head. You can't pray the trans away. <laughs> no, no, you, you can't. That's I mean, bad. it took, it took over 40 years to get an answer from praying and it was clear as a bell. That was not me in my head telling myself, no, God, no, I wanted you, the miracle. I wanted the miracle. I wanted it. You had already decided you were going to get it. You had already decided that you were going to stay as a man and just, try to live that life Well, I was trying to I mean we were separated at that time and I had been living somewhat of a double life male at work and female everywhere else and the stress of it stress of that mm -hmm. was getting to me and I knew if I went back I, I would I would die it was a terrifying thing and I didn't know what would come if I went forward and God emphatically told me no and so looking back I didn't get the miracle I wanted. 
-hmm. but I got the miracle I needed. Yeah. That's beautiful. (laughs) That's beautiful. Well, and so you, you have lost your, your, yes. Lost my marriage. Your your family has struggled. You lost your best friend. My mom and dad have struggled. I'm the third son. My older brother was trans and she transitioned back in the late eighties, early nineties. So I saw what she had done, mm-hmm. what she went through. Well, that didn't make me want to do this either. Oh, big red <laughs> no, flag for big you. Big red flag. It's like, I've heard, I've heard all the behind the scenes comments from my parents and other people about her. And, and so I knew what to expect and yeah, my, I, and didn't want to cause any more grief to my parents because my younger brother is gay my older brother was trans and now the third son is trans too and yeah. I tried so hard to be the normal son that my mom and dad normal son deserved none no, yeah. quote unquote yeah. normal son <laughs> what I felt was normal and and did my damnedest to be that for the majority of my life until the point where I, I couldn't do it anymore and that's what I told my dad it's like well I, I figured you'd rather have a live daughter than a dead son. Yeah. Did he agree with you? He didn't reply to me. He just yeah. turned around and walked off. Okay. So what have you gained? I have gained peace of mind in my own self. Mm-hmm. I've gained the joy of being happy in my physical body. I've gained the joy of being a woman, which is innately what I've felt myself to be my whole life. Not in public and everywhere I go, I get accepted as a woman. Nobody, nobody challenges me. I had no issues in restrooms or changing rooms or anywhere I go. Uh, I don't walk around with the trans flag on my shoulders or a big T on my forehead to, you know, clear the way a trans person is coming or anything like that. (laughs) I just want to be accepted as a woman wherever I go. That, and that has been amazingly wonderful. I never thought I would be able to be pretty. That was always a, a, an X of not transitioning. And I, I think I'm pretty these days. It's, <laughs> you know, I was just thinking, you know, you need accessories. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know, I, I, I think I have good fashion sense. I love being a woman. It is just amazingly wonderful for me. And that's been the biggest blessing. So many people see it like, oh, well, you just took a demotion. Why in the world would you want to do this? Well, I didn't want to do it. And I did everything, all, all the, you know, transphobe you hear and all the critics of us and talking about gender ideology and this horrible thing that we're grooming kids, blah, blah, blah. Nobody groomed me back in the 70s. Nobody groomed me to be trans. I was born this way. These kids are born this way. We are who we are. Just yeah. like little kids know they're boys and girls. And you ask them, are you a boy? No, I'm a girl. You know, it's we are that way. But we learn real quick not to tell people that. Right because of the reaction and punishing and whippings and any number of things that occur to us. Yeah. So let's talk about that because with all of the legislation that has been going on, especially in the state of Alabama, it's such a weird polarization to me to see the experience that you've had in terms of a good experience at work. Mm -hmm. The fact that we go to lunch and they're like, Hey ladies, what do you want for lunch? You know, and Mm -hmm. it's not a thing in those day-to-day things. But it is a thing in the government, um, you know, and it's being weaponized against you. Yeah, they want to make our lives just as miserable as possible. So we right. don't do this. And, and I if you go back in the closet, we don't, you make us uncomfortable. 
Right. That seems to be the mantra of so many things. It's like teaching yeah, race and pedophile tag that, that yes. you get and the like you said, the grooming and the threat and the all the things which really are more common in the people who are attacking you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like Republican congressmen and yeah. uh, priests, by the way. Your your child yeah. is most likely to be sexually assaulted at a church. Yeah. By I a youth pastor. Mm -hmm. That's so, the data. Yeah. yeah. So tell, I want to talk a little bit about the science behind um, transgender study, because there is science that shows that, that gender is much more fluid than people want to admit. Mm -hmm. And there is science that shows that there are genetic predispositions toward either being gay or being trans or any of those things. It is that the people who want to say you're just making a choice. I know from my family, we thought Luke was probably gay when he was in elementary school. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I've known little kids that I thought were, little, were gay when they were little. And yes, you, they turned out to be know. gay. In high school, you know, we didn't talk about it back in the 80s when I was in high school. And later when Facebook came out and all the people were on Facebook I was like oh yeah I thought he would end up being so guy and so did I thought he would too but it wasn't a thing that you talked about but as a parent yeah. how do you not know like we knew and I thought when Luke came out at 16 that that just took forever because <laughs> like why wouldn't he tell me I'm a person you can tell but he had but it's like you said you're you're transitioning in community it's anybody mm -hmm. who comes out and you have to come out over and over to people who don't know you if you show up with Oh yeah, it's the con constant gift. The face, you know, it's, yeah. It's the constant gift of coming out. It's like, oh, can't, it's like, can't do this again. It's like I came out to my high school class um, a little over a year ago because last year was our 40th reunion. We didn't get to have because of COVID. And we're going to try to have it this coming October, but I didn't want to just come traipsing in as, as me, right? And, and you know, it's like prepare these people. <laughs> this is who I am, and I, you know, post, post it's a little bit more than the person who gained weight right. or lost weight, right? <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I, I'm one of the most changed uh, alumni, I think, uh, that we have. But and I and I posted it as like, who am I? And I made it sort of a riddle and gave clues and stuff to who I was, and posted my picture. You know, it was like, who am I? Mm -hmm. And uh, one old friend guessed it, and she wouldn't talk to me. Um. One would not. Um, it was that was disappointing, and I'm really not sure how everybody in the class feels. I'm sure they're ones that you know are totally against me or what, don't agree with my lifestyle, blah blah blah. But all in all, it's it's been pretty good, and you know they've seen me, they've seen my pictures, and so it won't be such a um, big shock to somebody. And coming coming to the reunion, and I found I have a trans classmate that we were friends on the football team back in the day, friends back then, and uh, she came out like three days after I did. Oh wow, that was an amazing thing. And so I've been a, a mentor and helped to her on her journey because she had just started transitioning three or four months before me mm -hmm. I mean before before I came out on the page and that that was amazing that we knew each other I mean according to statistics there might have been three of us in the class one percent three two of us were friends yeah one of us knew we were trans and did not tell the other in any shape form or fashion back then yeah. nor did we suspect the other was gay which you know we're gay now but weren't then um and the serpentivity of that is amazing. Yeah. You know, that we found each other, but had no idea 
we we're both the same. Yeah. And we both have androgynous names. She's yeah. Robin. I'm Terry. She's still Robin. I'm still Terry. Yeah. <laughs> Makes life a little easier. In we some just way. switched vowels. Yeah. She had yeah. an I. I had a Y. So she took a Y. And I you took her. Yeah. yeah. I got <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well, uh, so tell, to inform our audience a little bit about some of this data and the studies that, are, that have shown that this is more than just a, a choice or a whim. Well, a lot of it, um, you know, there's no definite genetic studies. There's no trans gene or trans or gay gene or anything that, but, but there are signs that there is some genetic um, reasons for who we are because you do see it running in certain families. Some mm-hmm. families, there's, there's a lot of gay people or there's uh, more than just statistical normal of trans people. So, mm-hmm. you know, that does occur. Um, but there's also, you know, there's a lot of things that go on in Euro and it's from my own studies and all my reading, it's really about the testosterone, how much and when, mm-hmm. because, uh, there is one genetic deposition. It's called androgen insensitivity syndrome, AIS. These are genetic males who have a genetic defect where they cannot, their bodies cannot use testosterone. Testosterone will not affect anything in their body, what it will do to a normal genetic perfect male. And so these are girls. They're born visually looking like girls, vagina, labia, clitoris, whole nine yards, have a vagina. They just don't have a uterus. There are things that happen um, that prevent the uterus from forming early on, and they do get uh, testicles, but they don't descend. Okay. The Y chromosome does basically that. It doesn't do a whole lot more than that. Mm-hmm. It just creates the stage. Right. But without testosterone to prepare all the decorations, the default for a human is female. And so they're assigned female at birth, okay? Their birth certificate will show female. The race is females. They're very girly, generally. And when they hit puberty, they don't get a period. But they do develop breasts, curves, Mm -hmm. all the secondary sexual characteristics because when a male is producing testosterone in a body, they can't use it. It gets converted to estrogen. Oh. So in a way, they're producing their own estrogen. And That's so they, they don't have any pubic hair because you don't, you don't get pubic hair without testosterone. They don't get any underarm hair. And they generally have a beautiful head of hair because, well, testosterone kind of, you know, is detrimental to having a beautiful head of hair usually. That's <laughs> why uh, so they go bald because of the testosterone. Uh, and so there's that. And these are our girls. I haven't read about any of them being gay. They're generally very heterosexual, which means they like boys. They're girls in every shape, form, and fashion, but they are genetically male. And so some of these bills the legislatures are passing would keep them from using restroom if they ran a chromosome test on them or if it was known. What would you, I mean, how cruel is that to take someone who's been a girl all their life, was born a girl, been living as a girl, socially, everything, but all of a sudden, genetically, they find out that she is male 
and turns her world completely upside down when she is not in any shape, form, or fashion male except for her genetics. Yeah. I mean, you're effectively making her homeless when it comes to identity. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. I mean, the, you see the Republicans scream about biology. Mm-hmm. biology and they have no much. understanding of the diversity of biology in the human species at all. Yeah. I was reading a study that, that, spoke somewhat to what you're talking about. And it talked about the differences in the, the XY chromosomes and the, the percentage of, no, of quote unquote normal male bodies and female bodies is much smaller than we ever knew. And they said oh, yeah, it's huge, huge overlap. Of the yeah, they, said they would discover that somebody didn't necessarily match on the inside what they presented on the outside. And if they were just living their happy little life, they didn't even tell them because it would rock their world. So, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that they think that everything is so binary is, a black and white, and it's yeah, not it's it's just in any not shape, form, or scientifically fashion. true. Yeah. Approximately one in 500 people have a chrom- chromosomal sexual char- differentiation that is not XX or XY. It could be XXY, it could be XYY, it could be XYXY, it could be XO. The only, only fetus that isn't viable is YY and YO. Hmm. You have to have an X chromosome to have a viable live birth. Without it, does not reach gestation, doesn't develop right. You have to have an X. You can live with an outer Y. There are some genetic issues uh, with that with just one X instead of two Xs. You can live with just one X. You do. There are some issues um, and all that, but uh, you still have a, a normal, a fairly normal life, even, even like that. There are no super males genetically. There are no YY males. Because you need. They don't survive. We males are the weaker sex, genetically, especially. Yeah. Well, clearly. Because they're the ones. Been on both sides of the coin, you know. Right. Well, you know, it's it tends to be these male politicians who want to attack. And you know, I do feel like when you feel threatened by anything, that's what you do. So let's talk a little bit about what we can do. What the legislation in Alabama, they're trying to deny transgender care to kids without parental consent or even with, do they can they give with parental consent? The medical bill is a ban, even with parents' consent, even with medical consent. And the age of medical consent in Alabama is 14 years of age. Yeah. So there's a big problem right there. How do you carve that out? Mm -hmm. Oh, no, can't have this. But, but a cis kid who goes through precocious puberty, which is puberty that occurs before it should, it's like you know, eight years old, nine years old, instead of like 10 to 12, they can have the puberty blockers. Whatever you're using it to stop a normal puberty for a trans girl or trans boy, oh, they're going to ban that. How do you ban? How is that legal to do? Ban it for you, but not for you. Mm-hmm. You know, how is that constitutional? What does it do to kids, both physically and psychologically, to have begun a transition and then have to stop? They rip their hope away. I mean, to have had the hope of not having to go through a puberty you don't want to go through. Because once things happen in puberty, so many things, big hands, big feet, um, on a, on a, a trans girl, you know, you don't get the hips, 
you don't get as good a breast development generally. Um, you might start losing your hair. So many deepening voice. Okay, going on estrogen does not naturally heighten the pitch of someone who had a male puberty. Once those, those vocal cords are set through testosterone, it doesn't revert back mm-hmm. with estrogen. So trans women like me have to practice and train and, and whatnot to get our voices more into a higher pitch, more in the feminine range. Mm-hmm. And it can, it can be done, but it's difficult. And some, some can't, if you're genetically programmed for a very deep voice from testosterone, that's, that's what you're going to get. And it's difficult. And that could be a great tell, but the mental health impact mm-hmm. of having that hope ripped out of your hands, I can't even imagine that. I, that is the most horrible thing right there, mm-hmm. you know, that, oh, you don't know who you are and you don't understand and you don't, well, you can do this when you're older. No, I, I can't right. stop. You know, there is no undoing the puberty that you go through, except with puberty blockers. If you can stop it and then, you know, it, there's no adverse effects. We've had 40 years of medical studies on this with precocious kids. So it wasn't designed for trans kids. It was designed for cis children who had precocious puberty. And so we have a good handle on the risks and the effects and everything about it. They're very, very minimal. When you hear about um, people that don't want it to happen, well, so many people die because of this. It's in the, it's in the data. Well, that data is from men that have prostate cancer who are given these same drugs to give them a longer period of life because it blocks the testosterone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, those die, kids don't die on this. And it's easily reversible. You take the drugs away and puberty will start right where it was stopped and progress naturally if that's the child's choice in consultation with parents and medical personnel. If not, generally, Kids do not get hormones until they're 16 years old at the earliest. Sometimes it does occur earlier than that. And those are rare cases. But then they take away the puberty blockers and the trans boy or trans girl can then go through a puberty that is congruent with their gender identity. It doesn't matter what your biological sex is. The human body will react to the sexual hormones the way it is designed to do, regardless of whether you're genetically male or genetically female. That's just how we work. Every human's born with breasts. Every human has nipples. And you give enough estrogen to a genetic male, they will develop very female breasts and be able to lactate. Breast or breasts, period. The, the lack of education, I think, is one thing that just, that's one reason I wanted to talk to you so much because... <clears throat> I mean, in terms of controlling your own body and agency, mm-hmm. you know, for them to be so ignorant about a woman's body that says, I just put the ectopic pregnancy back in the uterus. And I'm thinking, wouldn't you have thought women might have done that if it were possible to save their babies? Uh-huh. I would have, I had one of those. I would have done it, but I couldn't. It's not possible. And it'll so, kill you. It will kill you. And it will allow kill you. to continue. Exactly. So if they're that ignorant on something as simple as that, mm-hmm the complexity of a transgender human's experience and hormones and all that, that's so much more detailed and complex and nuanced. 
and on the spectrum of gender. I don't, I mean, there's, it's no wonder that these people are trying to legislate against something that they clearly have no understanding of and no desire to understand. So no, they I don't understand it. They fear it. Most people fear what they don't understand. They see it as an ideology and that we have all this political power and whatnot. And it's like, really, if we had the political power, you say we do, none of these bills and laws would be getting passed exactly. at all. If we had the power, you say we do. Yeah. When it's reversed, y'all are the ones who are demonizing us. You are the ones who are fear-mongering about us, that we're going to rape women. This is always, always about trans women. It's never about trans men. No. That we're going, all we want to, only reason we do this for is so we can go in women's restroom and rape women. And it's like, God, honey, do you not understand what estrogen does to a male <laughs> in performance? <laughs> yeah, no, no male that wants to rape women in the women's bathroom is going to do this. Right. It's counterproductive, literally. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the science of that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry that um, estrogen. Uh, one kills testosterone production in a male. <laughs> it reduces it yeah. uh, to very low levels. My, I, mine went to um, below normal cis female levels. Just really? being on estrogen, yeah, no yeah. blockers, no other, no other thing. Yeah, it does it over yeah. time. It's not immediate, you know, but it does it the over time. The arguments of these legislators too, and anybody who's 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 on that side is that there's the, the pedophilia and all that thing. But to me, one thing that frustrates me um, as a parent of a gay child is that I find myself getting highly offended that they only view him in the sexualized sense. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine it would be the same or worse for you because, oh, yeah. to, mm -hmm. you know, identity and being gay or being transgender, it's not all defined by who you have sex with or what you're... No sexual sex is you know being a woman is so much more than who you mm -hmm. have sex with or how you have sex yeah, your, your life doesn't emanate from between your legs really right. there's so and much more to life than having yeah, sex so much like when luke says i want to be luke i don't want to be gay luke right that's an important distinction you want to be terry you don't want to be trans terry because mm -hmm. terry is a full human in her own right with all of the qualities that yeah. make you who you are and I feel like just to, to reduce it to that is just so, to use the teenager term, basic. <laughs> like, you know. Well, it's, 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 it's turning us into a fetish. Right. That's exactly. That it's all about sex that, you know, you just did that because of, you know, in the trans community for trans women, it's autogenophilia, which is that you're turned on by yourself. You're turned on by that. <laughs> Being having been a guy that I was turned on by the aspect of, of being a female and being a woman, that this is a sexual fetish. So you're thing basically for me. getting off on it yourself. Okay. Yes. And that and it's idiotic. It is <laughs> no. No, it didn't do that. It wasn't about that, you know, in any shape, form, or fashion. No. So Terry, two more questions. The first is what can we do? Vote vote that is the biggest thing one can do is vote for politicians candidates that are lgbtq supportive affirming and who we are because if not we already see where this is going if the republicans take the congress during midterms ah life is going to be shit 
for us, to put it lightly. They've already tasted success in coming after uh, trans people in the legislatures across the United States and looking what they did to reproductive health for women, um, abortion bans. I mean, God, look at the one in Oklahoma just got sand in the law that bans abortion from the time of conception. It's like, exactly, I determined that. But really, are, are you? how far are you going to go? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they, they, they are like sharks who have tasted blood in the water and people are voting for them. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's like, do you not understand that this will personally affect your family in some way? At some point, you don't get an out in any of this, whether you're, you have an LGBTQ family member or, you know, half your family is going to be female. So somebody's going to get pregnant that doesn't want to be pregnant or have a topic pregnancy. When they go to the hospital, the hospital won't do anything because you don't want to be caught in abortion. You can go to jail for saving your life. Yeah. How many women are going to die? A lot. I would have, I, I posted this recently. I would have died twice. Um, yes. Because I had a miss. You and, and hundreds and of thousands of other women. Yeah. And when you look at it like that, not having the power to make the decisions that I needed to make, and I wanted both pregnancies, but if I had had to prove it, that would have been so damaging because it was so, I was already in a, not a great place. And miscarriages. Then I, I mean, there's already thing about miscarriages, pharmacies <laughs> refusing to fill the prescriptions that aid in getting the unfortunate miscarriage to, to exit the body. Yeah. And, and we'll then you fill it. it. Right. Yeah. So that's, so vote. Everybody needs to vote. vote. That is the biggest thing. Vote. Call your representatives, call your senators. When these sort of things hit the floor of the legislatures, you can call, you can tweet, you can write, you know, protest at the Capitol if you're able to, but definitely, you know, tweet. They do get read by somebody. They are tallied by the staff of these congressmen and legislatures. I've tweeted at Ivy. I've tweeted, <laughs> I have tweeted, I have emailed, I have called unfortunately to much not avail because you know in our state we're very red we're very conservative and as you know okay ivy it's just common sense (laughs) you know just bless bless her heart i just bless bless her heart and i say that in the same manner that she said it to joe biden just bless her heart exactly so and then the other day when we were talking about doing this podcast i asked you to think about what the gift of the struggle was and your initial reaction was there's no gift there's no gift in this I would never choose this there's no gift in cancer you compared it to cancer have you since come around to the idea that there could be a gift in what you've been because to me the gift of you is your willingness to be open your willingness to share your experience and mentor someone who's yeah. who's due to the yeah. transition yeah. it's it's yeah. the things that you're doing that that, that is beyond what I said of, of actually being happy in my own skin uh, for the first time in my life, these last few years is, is beyond, it's priceless, as they say. Um, it took a lot of grief and anguish and, and whatnot to get here. That, that's a great gift for me. Mm-hmm. Also, the gift of being able to do activism for myself and the community. Um, I have a new therapist I've been talking to. And she's been a great, great help to me. And I recommend therapy to everybody. It's, 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 it's a <laughs> lovely thing. I wouldn't be here without it. Uh, but she uh, does therapy for trans kids as well. And uh, there was a trans boy that was coming in after me. And she wanted to know if I wanted to meet him and talk to him a little bit. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I'd be happy to. And so uh, he didn't say a lot, but uh, 
you know, I got to talk to him a little bit and tell him who I was, you know, and da, 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 da. And at our next session, my therapist told me that he was so inspired by meeting me that he had not ever met an adult trans person. And to see me and think about all what I had to go through and transitioning as an adult was an inspiration for him. So that is a huge gift to like be able to pay it forward, especially to the trans kids in our community and to be an example that yes, yes, you can be okay. Yeah. You can well, get there. You are, you are an example of what his future could be. Yes. Right. He, yes. He may that's one I just want to show. It's like, yeah, I was a trans kid mm-hmm. and I didn't have the opportunities that you're having of therapy mm-hmm. and puberty blockers and possibly going on tea at a young age and being able to go through the puberty that you want to go through versus the one you really don't want to go through. Uh, but even so that you still can make it happen later in life it still can happen and you can still get to be you just don't give up hope don't let that slip away you know and i'd like to be and i hope i am an example to ones like i laid it waited all my life to be me and i finally got to be me i thought it was impossible until i had to make it possible it's been great on that, that note, Terry, I think we'll wrap up. Thank you so much. For well, thanks for having me. This was absolutely wonderful, Elizabeth. Thank you. I, I, yeah, I really, I enjoy talking to you every time. I mean, the openness, I don't ever underestimate that because I think it's, I think that's what changes the world too. Hope so. Sometimes it's one person at a time. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I'll be seeing you. Okay. Yes. Bye.